Good morning, everyone. I want to get right to it. This morning, I would like to talk about a subject that I know is very concerning to me when it comes to Christianity. When it comes to the state of us as individual believers and for the church. When I say the church, again, I'm talking about the church universal. And that's the, the uh, subject which actually Rebecca talked about, and we didn't plan this. She was talking about evangelism. Because that's exactly what I would like to address today. Where does evangelism fit in our personal lives and in the church today? Because I'll be honest with you, I believe that the church, when it comes to evangelism, and again, saying to church, I'm going to speak about us as individuals, is anemic. I think evangelism overall is very anemic in personal lives. Think about yourself for a minute there. And this is not, I, I want to make this clear right now. This is not some kind of speech to manipulate or to try to put some kind of guilt or to try, that's, that doesn't work. That never causes us to truly repent. It's only the Holy Spirit. It's the Word of God and the Holy Spirit that causes true godly repentance in our heart. Otherwise, human, human manipulation, that's why I get so concerned sometimes when there are presentations of the Gospel and I feel the person is being more like a salesman. You know, and it relies more on techniques, on you know, how to perfectly present this and get people in a corner and then does it work sometimes possibly true true conversion but I know true conversion only comes through when the Spirit of God convicts a human heart that they are sinful that they are separated from God and they are in desperate need of the blood of Christ to bring them back to life spiritual life I, I fear that what's happening is that we're relying more on technique, on programs. And again, I'm gonna, I want to state this. I'm not anti-church program, okay? I do have a little allergy toward them. I will tell you the truth because I feel like sometimes instead of an organic type of of relationship, of an organic, called an organic Christianity, something that just naturally flows from a real relationship to Jesus Christ. We're more relying on uh, methods. You know, we'll say, okay, June is going to be evangelistic month here at the church, and churches have done that. You know, we'll say, June is evangelism month, and we want you to speak to at least two people every week who you think need the gospel. Now, that could be okay if you're really speaking to them out of a, a, a heart that says, these are people that need Christ. But does it become more? It's a method. It's, I got to get my checklist done. All right, and I'll bring it to these people. And sometimes it becomes more of a duty than a passionate, 
presentation to these people of Christ. And so I, I want us to be careful about getting caught up where we think if we're evangelizing and it's more out of just a method or, you know, we'll, we'll go through a 10-week course on, on evangelism and they'll tell you how to speak to people and how to present that. That reminds me more of the Jehovah Witness sometimes, that they come prepared. That's why I'll be honest with you, some can disagree with me. I never argue with a Jehovah Witness when they come to my door because they have an agenda. They're coming there with their ammunition all set to refute everything I say. They're, I don't believe they're coming with an open heart to, to have a debate. Uh, 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 I don't even want to call it a debate, a discussion on truth. They're coming for one reason. I've got to get this guy to believe what I'm going to believe, period. And that's what I worry about in a sense of, of these pre-planned pre type of evangelism. Because evangelism is something relational. You have to have some kind of... Yes, there is general relation. Like, I don't refute that. In the book of Acts, when Peter spoke on the day of Pentecost, but that was strictly the Spirit of God working in him. Those words were God's words bringing out to the people. And what happened? 3,000 people came to Christ because it says they, they, they were pierced to the heart, these people. Their hearts were just blown apart by the truth that they were presented with. And they cried out, you know, what must we do to be saved? Not us trying to force the gospel on them, but Peter was just speaking the truth, and the people were being drawn to it. Anyway, and I'm going to mention something along these lines. A.W. Tozer said this about 75 years ago, and you might hear me mention Tozer a lot. He was a, a man who was so deep, and I think so right on, his great concern was the condition of the church. Way back then, Toza lived from, I believe, around 1897 to 1964 he died. And he was already, he was saying things during the period of that time when I read his books. It says, this is today. You know, and he was called, a lot of people like to refer to him as the 20th century prophet because he was constantly presenting the people with issues that they needed to look at. Toza said, he was concerned, he said, that if one day God the Father decided to withdraw the Holy Spirit from all the churches on the earth, he said he believed that the majority of them would continue exactly the way they've been functioning. He said they would still have the same worship service, they would have the same uh, programs that would go on. He said they wouldn't even realize what happened. What an indictment that is. But doesn't that make us want to think for a minute? Are we being driven by the Holy Spirit of God? And I, I maybe mention this a lot when I speak, but being saved is supernatural. Having a relationship with God is supernatural. We're afraid of that today to say that. You know, we're afraid, well, we don't want to go too far over and become Pentecostal. But it's true. The Word of God is divine. And how is it, how is it brought into our hearts? By the Holy Spirit. How are we saved? God, the Holy Spirit, comes and He quickens our heart. 
and we're given the gift of faith and we can say yes to Jesus. We see that need and our eyes are opened. Think about Paul the Apostle. You know, God at that moment struck him and his heart was, was struck by the Holy Spirit. You know, and he was changed. And yes, you could say, well, that's a special conversion. But it's true of anything. Read Ephesians 2. We're dead in our trespasses and sin. Well, when you're dead, dead people don't respond to anything. He says, but God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. Then we were able to say, oh, Lord, I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. And that's when he goes on in verse 8. He says, you know, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And Paul made the point to say, and this not of yourselves. Referring to faith, it is the gift of God. You know, and that's something we need to realize. You know, and then he says, you know, so it's by grace so that nobody can boast. We didn't do anything. All we did is respond to God speaking to our heart, making it alive with him. And what, I, what I'd like to do today is talk about evangelism. And I'd like to take a portion of Scripture. I'm going to focus on one verse, but we're going to read the whole verse in its context. We never want to take a, a, a Scripture out of context. You make it say whatever you want at that point. It's so important. Con somebody once said, context is king. You know, and it really is a, a text. What is it? A text out of context is a pretext, James Kennedy used to say, and that's so true. So what I'd like to do, if you want to turn to 1 Thessalonians Chapter 2. And I want to get my spectacles on here. <clears throat> First Thessalonians chapter 2. Just to give you a, a quick leading into this, Paul only stayed in Thessalonica. It was, it's disputed. Some believe only a little over three weeks. And the reason they do that is because if you read in Acts, when Paul was in Thessalonica, it says that he spoke in the synagogue three Sabbath days. So they say, well, he probably... And he was under pressure to get out of town. Paul was like not the popular guy. He was always... He'd speak and wonderful people were being converted. But the established religion hated him they didn't want to hear that message they didn't want to see their people their eyes opening up to the truth of Christ they hated that message and so when Paul comes to Thessalonica he might have been there the general consensus probably is he was there maybe a couple of months that even though it only talked about the three Sabbaths that doesn't mean that he was stayed there for that period and one of the the arguments for that is that Paul, when you read First and Second Thessalonians, he really digs into some deep theological stuff. And, you know, he say, how could he do in three weeks, how could he possibly bring the message of salvation and, and bring the people up to this level of, of theological uh, issues in such a short period of time? But however time he was there, this is the word that we're left with. And... We'll start in verse 1, 
I'm going to read from verse 1 to verse 12. You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. We had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you this gospel in spite of strong opposition. And just a quick background on that. If most of you are familiar with what happened to Paul in Philippi. Paul is traveling with Silas, and in Philippi, he has an incident where he casts a demon out of this young girl, and she was a, like a fortune teller because the, she, the demons were giving her this ability to do that. And what happens is the guys who kind of had her, you know, her handlers, we could call it, the guys who were making the money from her doing this, their business was ruined, and they wanted to get Paul. They caused a, a big scene. Paul and Silas are taken, and they're arrested. They're beaten. In fact, they, they're, uh, they're given the 39 lashes. They're severely whipped. And then they're thrown into the inner prison, the deep part of the prison. Their feet are put in stocks. And then we know the story. They're, they're there, and what are they doing? They're, they're praising God and singing in the middle of the night. I love that. And there's an earthquake. God supernaturally intervened in this. Sometimes God does. Sometimes God doesn't. In this case, he did. And the jail opens up. And you remember the Philippian jailer. You know, what must I do to be saved? And Paul says, you, you and your household will be saved today. And he baptizes them. And Anyway, so Paul is just referring to that to them, that they had some bad times. On his first mission, this is his second missionary journey, on his first missionary journey, Paul was going from town to town getting kicked out. And finally in Lystra, the same group of, of, of the religious Jews were following him, and Lystra, he gets to the point, they stone him. And he's, thrown, he's outside of the town laying there, and the guys with him going, yeah, Paul's gone. He gets back up, and what does he do? He walks back into town. I love that. I'll be honest with you, I'd say, if I could get back up after a stoning, I'd say, let's get out of here, man. You know, Paul, Paul says, I'm, he goes back into town. He was driven by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Anyway, so he's just mentioning that to them here. He's saying, you know, it wasn't a failure. You know, even though this is going on, don't, don't let this judge now our ministry here. And he goes on then, where he says, and God dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. Verse 3, For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. During that time in the Roman Empire, when Paul, this is, uh, well, Paul is going on this missionary journey, Rome was filled with these traveling philosophers and traveling orators that made good money speaking and entertaining people, basically. And think about it. Paul comes in with Silas, and he comes in there, and it's like, oh, here's another one of these guys. So the people were questioning them. Are their motives impure? Are these guys just looking to make a buck on us by some, some clever speech? And Paul's telling them, no, guys. And then he gives them proof on it. He says, on the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please men but God who tests our hearts. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. He's saying, look at our lives. Check out what we did. Did we do what these other guys do? And then to, on top of it, he says here, he says, 
We were not looking for praise from men, not from anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you. And when he says that, they could have been receiving something from them for what they're doing. You know, the, worth, the worker is worth his wages. But Paul wouldn't take anything from them. He said, we got there. And Paul probably, what's assumed is that he, he was making tent. Paul was a tent maker. And he probably, maybe early in the morning and then late at night, was making tents to support themselves. And during the day, he was using that to speak the gospel of Christ to everyone. He says, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you. Now watch this. We were gentle among you like a mother caring for her little children. And one of the translations of that is a nursing mother. Now, I don't know about you, but I think one of the most tenderest things, one of the most beautiful examples of sacrificial, total giving of love is a mother who has her nursing child or her little child. I don't think there's any love stronger than that. That mother would lay down her life in a moment for that child. And Paul says, this is the way we worry you. He says, we were like a nursing mother would be with her child. That, that shows a depth of love there. And keep that in mind as we talk later. Verse 8, and this is the verse I want us to look at today. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well because you had become so dear to us, he says. Verse 9, Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone. Here again referring to, he was, he was working. He was bivocational here. He says, To be a burden to you while we preach the gospel to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. Keep that in mind. The example of their life. They could back up their words by how they lived. You know, many times I think the world is saying to us, don't tell me about this Jesus. Show me Jesus. You know, and maybe if we were showing the world Jesus, they'd be more open to listen about Jesus. There's power. Once your life is powerful and you speak, there's power in those words then. You know, if, if an you probably maybe heard an example like that, but if a salesman came to my door and he said, you had the great, he had the greatest insurance policy, a life insurance policy that ever was, and it was so cheap, and that I could have that, I'd probably say, no thank you, and shut my door. How do I know this guy? I mean... Anybody who's knocking on my door, I'd be, if my neighbor came to me who I have a relationship across the street, and he said, Walt, he said, we, Jessica and I just got the most incredible insurance policy. You, you got to see this thing. I'd say, yeah, come on in, Kurt. Why? Because he has credibility. I know who he is. I, I, I respect him. I see his life. He's Quote, in rel relatively, he's, quote, a good guy. But a stranger? I'm not going to be so quick to, to take those words from him. Anyway, let's, let's move on here. Okay, uh, and then look at verse 11. 
For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging, he says, you to live lives worthy of God who called you into his kingdom and glory. Here, I mean, look at what Paul says. What kind of example did they set here? He says, like a nursing mother and like an encouraging father. And I, I can't help to say this. That, to me, again, reminds me of God's beautiful plan for families. A mother who is nurturing and loving and caring. And on the other side is the father who is strong and encouraging and maybe at times more disciplining. But there's that balance and Paul, in their ministry, they had a balance of like a, almost, of a, you know, you, you picture a marriage and a family of a father and a mother. It, that's the beauty of what God creates. I can't, seeing in that, it just reminds me of that, how beautiful God's plan is. One man and one woman in marriage. For children, one mother and one father. I'm sorry, but that's God's plan. And it's a beautiful plan. Does it work always? No. Does it sometimes fall apart? Yes. We're, we're in a sinful world and we're sinners. And sometimes sin gets in the way and breaks that. But God's perfect plan for a family is a mother and a father. And I'm sorry, I don't believe it's healthy for a child to be brought up with two mommies or two daddies. There's a perfect balance that is created there. And yes, we're in situations where some mothers have children and they have no husband anymore. Or there's situations that maybe the guy left, or whatever it is. But God's perfect plan. And Paul is saying, we, we showed you such a balance here, a beautiful balance from God. Now, getting to the evangelism part in verse 8. Think about the words that he said. I just want to break this sentence down. He says, we loved you so much. Stop. Right there. What is it that's driving Paul to share the gospel with them? One thing. Love. Do you see that in your life toward the lost? Do you feel that type of love for people who are lost? Do we have that kind of, of passion that people are perishing? I, uh, I think we've grown cold a little bit. I really do. I'm afraid that the passion for lost souls, sometimes we get a little too busy or a little too wrapped up in ourselves. And I'm going to say something, and it sounds very negative, but ask yourself, when is the last time you shared some kind of God talk? I'm going to call it God talk. Biblical talk. A, a conversation bringing up God and even more so bringing up the gospel, just bringing up God to an unbeliever. 
that you know. How often do you find you try, I shouldn't even say you try to bring in that conversation, but does it naturally come in? See, I, I look, I say, if we have organic, if we, Christianity is or, uh, organic, then the gospel is something that's natural. It's, it should be natural with us people. It shouldn't be this thing that we're terrified of or that we're uncomfortable with. Because when it is, check your heart out. It all goes back to our selfishness. We say, well, I, I, I don't want to talk about God with this person because I, I don't think they want to hear about it. Or they might get angry at me. You know, they're very touchy. They might get upset with me. So what am I saying? I'm more concerned about what they think about me or what my image is than where their soul is at. If they get, if they get upset with you, I got to ask you, if you're, if you're in a relationship with somebody and they get that upset with you about mentioning God, what kind of relationship do you really have? Doesn't, don't real relationships, sometimes we can discuss the tough things and things that we are at opposite poles at, and even politics, which always gets in religion we talk about. But if there's a true relationship, you can still share your views with that person. You know, I, I'm going to mention something, but I don't want to embarrass you, but I love many times, you know, Mike and I have a, we're kind of uh, unofficial uh, accountability partners. We don't even do that accountability thing because I don't want it to, we're both, we don't want it to be a program. It's just kind of a natural accountability that should. But many times I know I've gotten a call from Mike in the morning from his job. He's a window washer and he works inside and he's, one morning he got an early call. He says, brother, you're not going to believe it. He says, the, the guard that I've been having conversations with this morning, I was actually able to get to talk about the gospel with him. You know, and I see there's an excitement there, and I've done that with him too sometimes. Said, I'll call him during the day and just leave a message. Brother, that person that I've been taught. You know, but it's, it's talking with people and building up conversations over time. And underneath it has to be a care, a, a passion for saying, I want to share with them what God gave to me. That's what the gospel is about. It's sharing that love of Christ and that hope to hopeless people. Now, where was I? Okay. So here's Paul, and he's saying, we loved you so much. We have to ask ourselves, is love driving us? As Christians, do we have that love in us? Are we driven by love? Or that's where I say I worry about just doing a, a, re, going through a 10-week course and then trying to do step one, two, three, four, and building bridges and doing this and that. Can we do it more naturally out of a love? Paul says, we loved you so much. Now think about this. It's like he says, we loved you. You know, he turned the gas stove up to four. But then he says, we loved you so much. He's just turned the gas up to ten. The intensity of that love Think about how many people you say, I love you. Even I know, you know, my brothers in Christ, 
a lot of us will see one another and we'll go, oh, I love you, brother. But how many people do you say, I love you so much? The intimacy with that, that's something a spouse would say to another. That's something that a boyfriend would say to a girlfriend, you know. Oh, I love you so much. Or how about you come home from work and you have little children and they run up to you and you know you grab it. Oh, daddy loves you so much, honey. Like that. Paul says we loved you so much. Now, what's the next thing he says? He says that we were delighted to share with you. Think about what delights you. What do you say? Oh, it's delightful. Maybe you eat at a restaurant, you know, and the meal is great and the service is good, and you say, oh, man, that was delightful, you know. Or maybe you get to spend a night alone with your spouse quietly, and you just spend an intimate evening in each other's company, and you say, what a delightful night that was. But Paul says, we were delighted to share with you. And then he says, not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Paul says we were delighted with that same feeling. That feeling of delight it was to share the gospel with you. That's amazing. How do you feel about sharing the gospel? Is it, oh, oh man, there's always that uncomfortable, that uncertain. If you're in Christ, the gospel is part of you. It's Christ in you. And you're just, you kind of, I always picture the gospel should be almost like, you know, where it says, all scripture is God breathed. You know, it means it's <sighs> exhaled out from God. It's talking about the exhale portion of breathing. The gospel should be <sighs> coming out of us because there's such a passion that God has put in us because we're so grateful for what he has done. Ask yourself, not only you know, do, I, do I feel a passion for what God has done, and maybe it's, well, it's, there's a, it could be a selfishness that I'm, that's keeping me from sharing the gospel because I want to keep an image. I don't want people to get mad at me. I don't want to get in arguments. I don't want this and that. Or is it a lack of faith? This is the other issue I'm afraid that's part of what's, why we're so anemic with our, with our sharing of the gospel. I know this is not going to maybe <laughs> be popular with you to say that, but God looks at my heart and says the same thing. Is it a lack of faith sometimes where you won't share the gospel with this person? Because if we truly believe... Sorry, I'm putting my back to you. <laughs> if we truly believe that I was dead in my trespasses and sin, and God made me alive, He forgave me, He stopped the process of me on the road to hell, He saved me from eternal damnation, which is not eternal annihilation it's damnation what did jesus describe it as being cast in outer darkness weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth that's horrible 
And you know what's the most horrible part about that? It never ends. In fact, that's where our mind, I don't know about you, but my mind cannot conceive that. Because that is the ultimate definition of hopelessness. That is hopelessness. To say it will never get better. It's like the person that is in excruciating pain 24 hours a day. And the doctor says, you have about six months to live. And I'm not advocating it, trust me. But you can understand where they get where they say, maybe I can commit suicide. Well, what? guess what? In hell, you can't commit suicide. There's no relief. Do we really believe that? Do we really believe Easter is right around the corner? Do we really believe that Jesus died for my sins and He lived the perfect life of righteousness to be imputed to me also? That He died, as Paul, what does Paul say? He says, for what I received, I passed on to you as first importance. importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. Do we believe that? That he was buried. In other words, he was dead. There's no question. He wasn't, he wasn't, you know, the swoon theory and all these theories out there. Well, possibly he was unconscious. No, he was dead. And he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. Do we believe when the scripture says that? Do you not realize that God's Spirit is in you? You know, whom he has given you? That you're a temple of the living God. I ask you to think about that and quiet, in, in quiet, take a couple minutes and pull in a, in, a, in a closet in your house if you have to. You know, everybody seems to be coming out of the closet. We're going to go into the closet if we have to. Jesus told us to, he said, right? The good closet, we're going into the prayer closet. And, <laughs> and he takes. And he puts his spirit in us. Do you, are you aware that the Holy Spirit is in you? Do you realize that? I, because I'll tell you, I, I think about this at some time, and I say, what an incredible thing. The eternal God, the third person of the eternal Godhead comes the moment I received salvation. And he comes and dwells in my heart? That's, that's, hard to, that's hard to fathom, but it's true. The one thing I know, and I'm going to share something, and I'm, I'm sure everyone here has shared this, although we don't like to talk about this. Well, I'm going to talk about it. A couple months ago, I was driving. And as I was driving, all of a sudden the thought came in, the day I take my last breath and the lights go out, are they going to come back on? Or do the lights go out? That's it. And for a minute, and I realized and I said, you know, I went right back to my conversion. And I know that day God 
did a supernatural act in my heart. He turned my heart of stone into heart of flesh. And I just go back to that and I say, Lord, you know, how foolish I am to even, you know, entertain those thoughts. But part of our humanness is we question and we have a moment of questioning and saying, you know, is this true? And that's okay because, you know what? I was a youth pastor years ago and I used to say to the group, don't stop asking the hard questions. Don't stop asking those hard questions to the kids. And I'm going to say it to you. Don't stop asking the hard questions. Don't run away from your doubts. When you're doubting, work it through with the Lord. And I guarantee you come out stronger. When I was in Bible college, I remember I took a course it was in old, Survey of the Old Testament. I just want to see what time it is because I'm not good at watching the clock. Survey of Old Testament. And when I took that course, I remember the professor started saying things about Abraham, that he was a pagan, that he had idols, that he had this. And I was a newer Christian. And I remember getting very uncomfortable about that. And I remember him stopping and he was looking in the class and said, does this make you uncomfortable that Father Abraham was a pagan? That he was, and he started doing that, and he was the one who said that. Don't run away from those fears, he said. Dive right into them, he said, because God will just increase your faith as you do, because the truth will come out on who God is. So, getting back to our text. Okay, he says, We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but think about that. It was a delight to Paul to share the gospel. It's a delight. And we look at it, sometimes I think like such an uncomfortable experience. It should be a breathing out of us, the gospel. He says that we would delight to share with you not only the gospel of God, and here's a key, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Do you feel that way about the people you encounter? I'm going to tell you something. Yesterday I went to Sam's to do a little shopping, and I'm going through the parking lot. And people are driving like maniacs. I mean, they're going fast. I'm, I'm like driving like this. Now, I was a professional driver for the last 30 years with a truck, and I'm driving like this, and I'm looking every minute that people are walking out, that the cars are backing up, that nobody's they're just doing their own thing. I'm going nice and slow, and people are going, and they're, you know, zoom, pulling in, doing this and that. Then I get in the store, and it's the same thing with the carts. It was crowded yesterday. And I'm like, I feel like I'm going like dancing, you know, and, and I don't dance, so it was pretty ugly. So, and I'm looking, and all of a sudden, the Lord put on my heart and said, what are you feeling right now? Because I was getting like, these people, I can't believe it, they're so... These are unredeemed people, most of them. I hope they weren't Christians. But, and I'm, I'm looking at that and I'm saying, I've got to set an example. I've got to love it. And I started, people were, you know, almost cutting me off, this and that. And I was trying to just smile at them. And most of them smiled back. You know, they thought, this guy's an idiot. I just cut him off and he doesn't realize this. I don't care. But I said, the Lord has put on my heart, how are you acting with them? Are you getting angry inside? And just these people, this is how you're saying, how many of these people are so lost? They're living a self-centered life 
and they're going to hell one day if they don't find out about Christ. And no, I couldn't start preaching to them in the store, but it's, I'm talking about attitude. It starts with attitude toward people. You know, it's that attitude that brings us to want to be closer to people like this. But he says, we loved you so much. You know, I'm so afraid that our Christian love is not at the, the passion it should be. You know, I, I look at this church and I love the love between one another here. But it has to be more than that. It has to be outside of the church too. We love the brothers and sisters, but we need to love those outside of the church. And I hope you will consider, where are you at? Ask yourself, why aren't I sharing the gospel with those people I know? I'm going I'm to give you a, a quick story and we're going to wrap this up in five minutes. Okay. I have a friend who's Jewish. And I, I've known several Jewish people and I have had discussions of the Bible with them. And usually what I try to do is, is talk from the Old Testament because that's, their, that's the book that they know. So I try to bring Christ from the Old Testament up. But I'm always cautious Always very cautious about it. Too cautious. I look back now, I say, I'm too cautious. I'm afraid they might get upset at me. You know, but anyway, and again, before I even continue with that, remember what Peter said in 1 Peter 3.15 when he talks about, he says, you know, always be prepared to give an answer, you know, to everyone who asks you for the reason, you know, for the hope that you have within you. But then what does he say after that? But do it with gentleness and respect. If I do it with gentleness and respect, I'm doing what God wants me to do, I believe. My conscience is clear. My Jewish friend, I've known him for 20 years. And I've talked to him many times, and he asks me about the Bible sometimes. You know, what I think and stuff. I felt so convicted about a month ago. About, we only see each other maybe two or three times a year, actually. But we'll go out to lunch and just kind of talk and catch up. And we were going out to lunch, and we were going to Chipotle's in Selden. And we pull in the parking lot. And as I pull in the parking lot, I felt God telling me, when are you going to share with this man? You know? And I, like I said, I had never really had an in-depth talk about Jesus with anybody. I'll talk about the Old Testament and try to compare sacrifices and say this, that. And he's a very touchy person. He's a person that can get very offended quick. And I can't let that worry me anymore. And I said to him, I said, I have to speak to you today. I'll call him Joe. I've never known a Jewish guy named Joe, but we're going to call him Joe today, okay? So, talk to Saul, okay? Saul? That's what. And, and when I was talking to him, I just felt the Lord saying, when are you going to tell this man the truth? Or are you just going to let him go to hell on his, like this? At least let him know the gospel. And so I asked him. And I'll tell you, I was, I was inside, I was very concerned about him getting very upset at me because he said to me once before he was at one of the 
volleyball things we had, and somebody kind of was pushing him into Christianity Explored, and he got into the car with me, and he said, you know, Walter, I'm really upset. He said, I feel like this guy's trying to make me change my religion. Well, I'm never going to change my religion. So I, he, that was already planted in my heart. But you know that day I just said, Rich, I want to talk to you. And I was honest with him, totally honest. Well, we should always be honest. But I mean, I opened up my heart, what I was thinking. And I said, Rich, I said, oh, I just gave his name away. Okay, now, I can never invite him to the church now. Okay, that's it. So go to that other church over there if he ever gets converted. Okay, anyway, I said, Saul, <laughs> you didn't hear, strike that from the tape. Okay, right now. <laughs> I said, listen, I said, We've been friends for a long time, right? He said, yeah. I said, I, you know I have never tried to in any way push my faith on you. He said, I know that, Walter, and I appreciate that, he said. I said, well, today I have to tell you something. And I just said, you've been a Jew all your life. What has Judaism done for you in your life to bring you closer to God? What has Judaism done for you to prepare you to stand before God when you die and stand before a holy and righteous God in your sinful state. And I, w I thought he was going to blow up, and it was just the opposite. He, like, looked forward, and he went, and he gave a... <sighs> he said, that's a good question. I don't know. And I got a chance to share the gospel with him. Now, did he say, please, how can I be saved? No, but he told me he appreciated me sharing that. And I also let him know. I said, I'm not going to badger you, I promise. And I'm not going to nag you. I shared the truth with you, which I believe is the truth and what you need. It's between you and God. And I hope you will really, really think about this. And he said, I will. I did what I had to do. What did Paul say? I planted, Apollos watered, but who made it grow? God. Amen. All we can do is, one of my favorite parables is the sower. Jesus talked about that. What a great parable. That's one of my favorite parables. Because it really shows us our responsibility. The farmer, what does he say? The farmer, that's us. The seed is God's word. And he says, he just, in the way they used to do it, they had the little bag with the thing and he'd walk through the fields and going like this and just throwing it everywhere. That's all he would do. He wasn't responsible for every seed where it fell. And what does Jesus say? Some fell on the hard soil, the people whose hearts are hard, and Satan snatches it right away. It's, too, it's hard. But then he said there were those who were shallow. And we've all seen those people too. They get the gospel and they're all excited. But when you know, trouble and persecution comes because of that, they never go any deeper. They just say, all right, I'm saved. They don't, they don't passionately try to find out who this God is and get close to him. And they don't make it. And then there's the third group, which I believe is like a lot of Christians. He says that's the crowded soil where the thorn bushes are growing. He says, the seed comes up and it's growing good. He says, but because of all these other things, he talks about, he says, the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth. He says, and the desire for other things. He says that 
never produces a crop. I'm afraid that's where a lot of Christians are today. They're so busy that God is just one little compartment instead of God being, God is our life. I loved when Moses in Deuteronomy, might be chapter 32, I don't remember offhand, but he's talking to the Israelites and he gets done and he says, you know, these words I'm telling you today are not just words. He says, they're your life. We need to explore and dig deep. But then Jesus said, there's the fourth soil. And that's the good soil, he said, and the seed falls on it and it grows a crop 30, 60, 100 times. But is that farmer responsible for it? No. God is responsible. It's his, it's ultimately the responsibility. Naturally, we're all responsible for our own decisions. But Jesus says, it's not your job to save. It's your job to sow. Are we doing that? Are we sowing the word of God? Are we doing it with a passion? Okay, I'll end with this scripture. And that's it. In Romans, again, I love in the first chapter of Romans, in verse 14, the apostle says, I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks in other words, the civilized and the uncivilized, the non-Greeks were those who didn't speak Greek and they had those other languages. I am obligated, he says, both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish, basically saying all kinds of people, everybody. He's including everybody. He says, that is why I am so eager to share the gospel also with you who are at Rome. And then he says that great line, which most of you know, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. And I, I, even though it's not exactly on, I can't help but give you the next verse. Verse 17. For in the God, this is the verse that changed Luther's heart. When Luther understood the next verse, he said it was like, the gates of paradise opened, he says, and I walked through them. What a beautiful picture of, of understanding the gospel and, and coming to Christ. It says, for in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written. And he uses Habakkuk 2.4, the righteous will live by faith. But, I ask you, think about what the apostle said. He felt obligated to share the gospel. He felt eager to share the gospel. And basically he said, I'm not ashamed. I'm proud of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God. How could we be ashamed of the power of God? Shame on us. I mean that. Shame on us to be ashamed of God's power to change the way he changed us to change others? No, that's, I'm sorry, we have no excuse for that when we fail to share the gospel. And I'm going from, I'm saying this because God has put this upon my life. That's what preaching is, you know. It's God puts it upon your life and in turn you try to share it in a way that will be comprehensible, which I hope somewhere you got something. You know, and I say, we need not be ashamed. We should be, 
that word, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, basically means I'm proud of the gospel. I'm not arrogant about the gospel. I'm not obnoxious about the gospel. It's like the, I'll never forget, I was working in a place, and a guy walks in. Now, I've been working, these guys are all pagans, unbelievers, and I've been trying to build relationships with these guys for a long time. This new guy walks in, and didn't take a few minutes for him to go, by the way, guys, I'm a Christian. He says, and I don't appreciate cursing. And I'm like, oh, man, please. I wanted to say to the guys, please don't listen to this guy, because do I, do I like cursing? No. But I'm there, and I'm not patting myself on the back, but they know just by my language that I'm not exactly in the same world that they are. And that's okay. And I'm not saying it boastfully. I thank God for that. But we don't need to announce that. One of the worst things I ever experienced, not one of the worst things, I, it was a, a crummy experience. I was standing online in a delicatessen one day, getting a roll in coffee. I was on my way into Manhattan to deliver things. And there's two truck drivers, younger guys than me. Well, most people are younger than me now anyway. So there's two younger truck drivers, and the one guy is saying to the other guy, they're standing right in front of me talking like this, I had to work with, I don't know what his name was, Saul, maybe his name was Saul, and he's all over the place. He says, I had to work with Joe yesterday, he says. And the other guy goes, oh, and he goes, oh man, I can't stand that guy. He says, none of the guys can stand him. He's talking, he says, he says and then he says, we sit down to eat lunch, and he does this all the time. He says, all right, guys, don't, don't eat your lunch. He says, take off your hats. I want to pray first. Take your hats off. And the other guy looks at him and he says, I can't stand him. I hate those guys. You know what I wanted to do? <laughs> I wanted to tap the guy on the shoulder and say, excuse me, I want you to know I'm sorry, but I could not hear what you said. And I want you to know I'm a Christian. But you know what? I never met this guy you're talking about, and I can't stand him either. I don't blame you. That is... That's horrible, what it is. Someone once said, the best argument for Christianity is what? Christians. And the best argument against Christianity is what? Christians. Let's set, a, let's set our life as an example of the gospel, of God, the power of God in us. And then let's not be ashamed Let's feel that obligation. I'm a debtor. I'm indebted to share the gospel. We owe it to people to share what God has done for us. Let's be eager. Don't look at it as a, 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 an uncomfortable experience. Look at it as a chance. I'm giving them a gift. I'm off. I'm telling them. You don't have to get there. I want you to make a decision for Jesus now. You don't have to do that. Just share what God's done in your life and see what happens. And let that seed grow. And most of all, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Be proud of the gospel because it's the power of God that saved us and it can save them. Let's bow our heads. Oh, God. I want you to take a moment before we pray and think about 
Where is the gospel, the sharing of the gospel in your life? Where is the gospel in your life, in fact? You know, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians, in the 13th chapter, in verse 5, he's writing to the church now. Please keep this in mind. He's writing to the church. And he says to the Christians at the church, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Can you imagine that? He says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. That's a great verse for us to go back to often and ask ourselves and examine ourselves and test ourselves. What's going on in me? Where is Christ in my life? And if Jesus is my Lord, if, he is, if I have this passion for Him, why am I not just letting the Gospel be part of my regular conversation? Let's repent. See, when we... When we're faced with things like this, let's repent and then let's rejoice in God's grace and turn. That's what repentance is, to return 180 degrees. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord. Thank you for saving us, Lord, who are here and have been rescued from the wrath that we so rightly deserved. Lord, forgive us for being not only cold to you and at times having a cold faith, but to being neglectful about sharing that gift. We have received this gift so freely from you. May we in turn freely give to others the good news that there is hope. Let us give that hope to these people around us. And then, Lord, let us rest, knowing that once we've done that, it is up to you to work in their hearts. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this time. And we pray. In Jesus' name, would you stand and could we sing the doxology together?